to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we're going back over everything we missed from the initial reaction show, our second glance at week one of the preseason, taking a look at the copy again. We'll give you some interesting stats from PFF, and we'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel and his day after presser. From Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Kicking this thing off here, and if you missed the Sunday recap edition of the game, that had the original notes. You're going to find your Skylar Thompson breakdown in that one, your Darius Hodge, a little bit of that Porter Gustin uh, turnover sequence there with Sam McGuavin. All the stuff that was, I suppose, more obvious on the first watch is going to be available for you on that podcast. But I want to go back with, you know, rewind capabilities and watching every snap three or four times and give you kind of my general takeaways from the Dolphins' first iteration of this 2022 season, first game under head coach Mike McDaniel, and just some notes that I I thought were interesting here about the individual play. That's what preseason's about, right? Taking a look at individuals and how they kind of come together to form the greater sum of the parts for a football team, you know, void of really any scheming or any of that stuff that goes into a weekly game plan, as Teron Armstead told us earlier last week. In Tampa Bay. So let's go ahead and kick it off on the offensive side of the football. <clears throat> Excuse me. With the very first play of the game, and the Dolphins come out in an unbalanced 12 personnel set, which means you have both your tight ends, one running back, two tight ends, two receivers. That's 12 personnel. Both your tight ends on the same side of the formation, which is unbalanced, right? You get heavier, uh, more gaps on one side of the formation, less gaps on the other side. And <clears throat> I thought instantly you saw the beauty of the Mike McDaniel offense with the flow of the defense really pressing and pursuing play side. And then here comes Skyler, take that football out of the belly of the back and take that bootleg back to the weak side. And then you bring the flow of the tight end, you know, Mike Kosicki in this instance, across the formation, across that flow. And he has a wide open 13 yard catch and run going against the flow of that defense. And you saw, you know, that's what, Shaq Barrett talked about after joint practices, right? This offense will challenge your eyes. They will really challenge your IQ to make sure you are right with everything you do. First play we see in there, Mike McDaniel is is springing a tight end loose across the flow of the action with the play action game for 13 yards. Easy first completion for Skylar Thompson. Jason Taylor talked about it on the broadcast. I can't wait to see more of that as we go along, especially, especially with game plans that are designed to exploit vulnerabilities and weaknesses. So that was my first note. I also noted some offensive line stuff that, you know, that that gets way easier to do an eval on the offensive line on the rewatch. It's, it's really difficult to get a great feel for it uh, live off the broadcast, but off the rewatch 13 snaps for Austin Jackson, but he was rock solid, man. I noticed in training camp, he's got very sturdy, gotten very sturdy, become very sturdy with his initial punch and he stays square. So like <clears throat> his feet are often under, you know, under his knees, under his hips, under his shoulders, and he just gets to spots patiently, 
is kind of what I've noticed. And the initial punch, he's been locking that thing in right on the chest plate, square him up, and that allows you to control the rep and stay balanced and stay square. And that's what I keep noticing from him. It allows him to either run the guy around the arc, which is the least dangerous spot on a football field behind the quarterback, or change a direction and mirror back inside when the pass rusher redirects. <clears throat> to me, that confidence, or that patience rather, comes from confidence, which he talked about last week, right? I'm the most confident I've ever been. I think it really showed in this game and, and so far through practice and, and training camp. Solomon Kinley stood out big time in the pass pro game as well. On the interior, <clears throat> you'll often see guys with the mission of just resetting the line of scrimmage and running through their block. Like, we'll come back to Ben Still, the UDFA from Nebraska. That was his job all night. Just push that center, that nose tackle position, take him back into the quarterback as far as you can. Hopefully, what that does is eliminate the step-up option for the quarterback. And then if you get that done successfully on the same snap that your edges win and get around that corner, that's how you wind up with sacks and, and taking away all escape hatches for your quarterbacks. <clears throat> Solomon Kinley did not allow that all night long. He held firm. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was just fantastic. On the third and inches run on the first set of downs on the game-winning drive, that 60-play yard drive where they were backed up to the minus four-yard line, you're thinking like, even JT on the broadcast says, I would sneak this ball behind big Solomon Kinley. They didn't do that. They pulled Solomon Kinley play side, and he goes in there and just absolutely clobbers the defender who shot that gap, hoping to make a big play to get his name some recognition for a third and short stop. Didn't happen. He wiped him out, and it's a first down for Jared Dokes in behind that block from Solomon Kinley and Adam Penke at that center position. Going back to the first team offense or the first part of the game, there was a third down conversion to Cedric Wilson that I just think was indicative of something defenses are going to have to find a way to have solutions for this Dolphins offense all year because we've seen tons of successful offenses have this similar thing. I think about the Buffalo Bills frequently when I thought about this idea that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell commands so much attention on the perimeter, and we know what Cedric Wilson can do from that slot position. You get him in a one-on-one -on -one situation with a two-way go, which means you can break in, you can break out, and with his intelligence and chemistry with Tua, that ability to make sight adjustments off of that, you have to feel good about. It's just a really tough order for some of the best nickel cornerbacks even in this league. On this look, that's what he gets. He gets inside leverage, and he presses up, kind of drops that shoulder into the chest plate of that inside leveraged slot cornerback. And then from there, you put your foot in the ground, run that crisp route, get out of the break. And it's it's easy separation for a guy like Cedric Wilson. I think about that Buffalo Bills offense with Stephon Diggs, with Emmanuel Sanders, with Gabe Davis, all those perimeter options they had. And, you know, Cole Beasley has been a productive player, but he's you know, athletically nothing real special about, you know, his profile. And he was able to just win those two-way goes with quickness and good route running. I, I think Cedric Wilson's very, very capable of having an exact same, not, not the exact same role, but getting those looks, those situations, and exploiting them time and time again when you get that one-on-one -on -one coverage. It's you know, a, a matchup-based league. Cedric Wilson against some of those cornerbacks with his size. And then from there, his ability to go vertical from that spot too. I think it's a great, great addition. I think we're going to see more of that as the year goes along. We also know about the yak theme with this team, right? Yards after catch. I've got Trent Sherfield, Tanner Connor, Cedric Wilson, and Eric Ezukama with slipped tackles after the catch. And also real quick regarding Eric Ezukama, 
you know, you mentioned the yak with his game. It's a big thing that stands out. But his release on that route was so nice. A little stutter step at the line, swipe the hand of the jam attempt. He looks really polished for a rookie receiver. I love two things about the Lynn Bowden touchdown. The vertical horizontal stretch of the play where you get Tanner Connor, who is the inline attached tight end. He takes his route to the flat to the route to the flat, basically looking like stick where you have Muhammad Sanu run a little uh, a, a hookup and you have Connor to the flat. But instead of that hookup, Muhammad Sanu takes a square in that occupies that third level of the defense. And then you have Preston Williams on the backside running a crosser, which you see influence the second level of the defense. And that all sets up Lynn Bowden's double move. He has to get one guy to take the cheese. He does. He bites up on that. It takes the top off the defense. Really cool design and a good example of spacing. And you get that good pass pro, which is the second part that stood out to that touchdown, stood out to me about that touchdown, was the pass pro was excellent. Coleman, Kinley, Panky, Jones, and Keon Smith all won their battles, gave Thompson a clean pocket. He stepped up and did not miss. <clears throat> also on offense, a super brief showing, but I thought Kellen Deesh showed the stuff that popped on tape for him in college. He covers a lot of ground on that kick slide to get to his landmark light feet. He looked very good in that limited action. On the defensive side, I thought Raekwon Davis's first snap where he shocked and shed the center of the Buccaneers, a brief showing, but his strength was evident throughout. So was John Jenkins, who played really, really well. The first rep that I noted him on was a pure manhandle rep where he just took a dude and chucked him out of the gap and made the play, the tackle, right at the line of scrimmage. He later thwarted a cut block, and for a guy that size to kind of put your hands on the guy and then get your knees back to keep yourself clear and then get back into a position, basically an up-down, but using a human body instead of the, the, the grass to, to get up off of and he gets up off of that guy and makes the play in the gap there very good game for uh, John Jenkins I thought Porter Gustin was very good he had a versatile role we saw him with his hand in the dirt standing up had that pressure slash hit on the interception he slipped some blocks in the running game a guy that has played on special teams a lot in his career he's got a good shot here I think Chilin Phillips I mentioned his bull rush but on the holding call that he forced just watch the way he chases the football and not only that but a lot of times in that situation, guys will, you know, you get the grab of the jersey, you look at the ref and kind of throw your hands like, what's up, ref? Like, why did you get that call? He didn't do that. He just took off and kept his eyes on the quarterback. And once he saw the quarterback took off, he chased after him. I, I love that effort. I love not concerning yourself with things you can't control. Fly to the football. It's a philosophy on this defense, and it shows every single time. Speaking of speed, Andrew Van Ginkle. He had just, there was one play that stood out to me, a free rush where, you know, a lot of times that position, you're going to be the unblocked man. You have to get to the quarterback, but also break down and stay kind of, you know, in control and make that play. Is there anybody you'd rather have turned free as the unblocked man? Andrew Van Ginkle gets in there so fast, so often. I also really appreciate the way Brennan Scarlett consistently resets the line of scrimmage with how he attacks his man. He just consistently gets that pushback, which forces the back to have to make choices when they come that way. I talked about the defensive backs tackling on the perimeter earlier last week in the podcast, but to me it's more than that, and it stood out in this game. <clears throat> Eric Rowe, Brandon Jones, Noah Igbenogany, Trill Williams all inserted themselves in the running game, and Trill's first play of that second half with that you know six on his jersey, I had to double check to see why, why would you put Javon Holland back in after not dressing him? He looked like the snowman with the way he came down and popped that thing and made a big physical hit. 
he's got some skills, man. I, I'm looking forward to hearing what Coach has to say about uh, his injury. Hopefully it's not too bad. And I don't want to double dip here on Darius Hodge, but he was just so dang good because we talked about the pass rush, but his first play was an excellent backside pursuit where he got around that corner, flattened, and made the play on a chase and tackle opportunity. And I don't think this showed up in the stat sheet, but again, Ben Still, the UDFA from Nebraska, he occupied that thankless nose tackle job so frequently where he just had to move a brick wall over and over and over again. Just hut hut, put your head down, run into a guy and try to get push against someone that weighs 320 pounds. It's not a fun job, but he did it. I thought he did it consistently and helped create chances for guys around him. And then finally here, DeAndre Johnson had himself one heck of a night. I thought it was cool to see Austin Clark super fired up when he... Owen Carney Jr. and Ben Still met at the quarterback for a sack late there in the fourth quarter. Last thing here on the defense before special teams, the touchdown pass that is being debated about on Twitter, that's a pretty basic looking cover three type of rep where you have, you know, a, a defensive back in the deep third, Igbenogany, Needham, and I think it was Keon Crossan on the other side. Good route concept to try to occupy that post safety, with which they did with the first crossing route. And then you have Brandon Jones, who's playing the hook curl, and he was in the right position based upon a cover three look. I thought the depth and that final third back there with Egbenogany, just a little bit too much depth, and especially knowing that no one's coming in behind you. Uh, squeeze that route maybe a little bit tighter, you might get a bit of a different result there. So that was the one note on that play. Special teams, Seathan Carter had a nice tackle on the opening kickoff. Trent Sherfield. This guy has this, the skill set that I think is going to make him a fan favorite. He already is for me, but working as that jammer on special teams, the way he just kind of holds guys up and, and helps you get better punt returns. We saw with Preston Williams' first punt return. He was a big part of that blocking, and that blocking shows up in the receiving game too. There was a big catch and run by... I think it was Ezukama, might have been Lynn Bowden, I can't remember, but he goes down and gets catches himself a big-time block down the field. He broke a tackle on the one catch, just, again, that fan-favorite type of skill set that he offers. Channing Tindall had a, a really good game, I thought. Special teams tackle was awesome, but he also had two open-field stops on defense. And then the battery of Blake Ferguson, Thomas Morstead, and Jason Sanders, absolutely on point. If there's anything, any obvious omissions, on this podcast, it's because I covered those in the first pod, the Sunday morning podcast. Let's go ahead and take a break and come back to some pro football focus data. That's next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah I, yeah because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard he don't care about guarding he's gonna guard he's gonna exactly. guard like you see him in the olympics <laughs> he's gonna guard and then on I'm top of that like that see that Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came to my room crying, tears, <laughs> crying. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's he going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on a Rewatch edition of the Drive Time Podcast, taking a look at Dolphins and Bucks week one in the preseason. Going to be a short segment here. We'll hear from Coach McDaniel in the third segment. I want to get you guys some quantifying by the numbers here as we take a look 
at the Pro Football Focus Report and the advanced metrics. Starting on the defensive side of the football, Elijah Campbell was the highest graded player in the Dolphins' defense. Should be no surprise with the interception. Four targets, two catches on 18 coverage snaps for 19 yards. That's a great spot to be for Elijah Campbell. Channing Tindall had 14 coverage snaps and allowed just five yards with two run stops to go. Have a day, rookie. Cameron Good, speaking of rookies, three run stops on 19 run defense downs. That is very, very good. Benito Jones had four run stops on 23 rundowns. That also is very good. We had Porter Gustin leading the way with four QB pressures in this game. Benito Jones had two, and then a handful of guys had one as well. But Porter Gustin, four, that stands out. Uh, Darius Hodge, Trill Williams, D'Angelo Ross, DeAndre, DeAndre Johnson, Duke Riley, Quincy Wilson, and John Jenkins all had two run stops in this game. Duke Riley allowed three yards on 13 coverage snaps, had a pressure and two run stops, a very good day for him. And then Keon Crossan allowed 22 yards on 21 coverage snaps. You got to love seeing that. So that's your defensive metrics. I thought I would have offense numbers for you guys by now, but they're not available on Pro Football Focus just yet. And I'd rather push this podcast out than wait on numbers that I can just give you on Twitter, or you can check out PFF yourself. But normally on this podcast, we do go over the entire PFF gauntlet. I'll update it if it gets back in time. If not, I'll put it on Twitter or the next podcast. It's really not a big deal, but we'll have you guys updated on that as we do all the time on this podcast. It's what we do. Let's go ahead and take our last break here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. We'll come back on the other side and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield. Last break there, we're going to go ahead and get now to this Mike McDaniel Sunday afternoon press conference. And not a lot of reporters in the room, so we had a chance to kind of, or I did, I should say, ask a couple of questions. Really fun sitting there with Coach talking about the game on Saturday, but also just some ideas and philosophies as he educates us every single time we get a chance to talk to Coach in those pressers. Let's go ahead and start here with a question posed to Coach about the possibility of moving Eric Rowe back to cornerback in the light of the Trill Williams injury news, which Coach also addressed, uh, the reports that it is, in fact, an ACL, but not quite sure 100% yet what's going to happen for IR and all that stuff. You can hear that up on the YouTube channel, the media availability. Coach did address that. Let's go ahead and go back to Coach now, though, here for this question and answer about the possibility of moving Eric Rowe because he went in-depth about Eric Rowe's position on the team, standing on the team, and what he means for that defense. Here's Coach. Uh, first, first and foremost, that was a you hate to see um, 
an injury like that um, for a guy that's been working as diligently uh, as as Trill has. He's really, um, you know, he he was an example of a, of a player early on that I could tell in the healthy way that he wasn't totally happy with where he was at in terms of depth and and you want to talk about an example of a player doing handling that the right way transferring that energy um to the point that he's been making plays daily um on the ball and you can tell from his teammates how pumped they were for him so you know it it's one of the hard things about the profession that that I really struggle with um when I see that happen to someone um, at the same time, I think he's proven, you know, uh, time and time again that things of that nature won't keep him back uh, over the long haul. Um, the, the challenge is to make that thing um, happen for a good reason and come back stronger and better. But it's, a, it's something that I think it hurt the hearts of the whole team myself included. Um, with regard to Eric Rowe, he's, he's been, you know, getting pretty involved in the defense uh, in a good way. And it's, I, I kind of like where he's at um, in terms of his, he, uh, his play. And he, he kind of, there, there's a new side of him that, that was kind of displayed in the joint practices. Um, I was talking to the team about the salty side of Rowe. Um, and he was getting competitive, and it was really cool to see. I like where he's at right now in his position. I do think he does have versatility that you could go down that road if need be, but, you know, right now we're just um, evaluating a couple guys, and then we'll, um, you know, as Chris and his department always does for the cornerback position, um, they'll, you know, we'll we'll be in discussion of, you know, how to handle some of these injuries and, um, moving forward, uh, what we need to to continue to develop and not overdo the other existing corners um, on the roster. Really, really good stuff there, especially the salty side of Eric Rowe. I, I love hearing that about him. We saw that in the way he fit the run in that game last night, really throughout the course of training camp so far this year. He's come a long way since being a cornerback to a safety that can get his, nut, his, you know, his face dirty in the fan and go make plays. Up next, Coach was asked about philosophy for cut-down day. I continue to love this point about not getting too far ahead of yourself and staying present within the day. Here's Coach. That's something that, you know, we talk a lot about people getting opportunities every day and how valuable and every, every practice is so valuable and um, every opportunity is so valuable. So it's a balance where going into preseason game before you know that there's a cut, you're kind of saying the state of the union right then, fully knowing that when there's opportunities in front of people, you don't make your mind up because you learn so much about players each and every time they're out on the field, specifically when you have to handle the emotions of a game. So that we were long discussions um, last week and then some discussions that we started today, but then we're careful, you know, this is their livelihoods and it's also the team and organization. Um, These are big decisions that when you have a competitive, talented roster like we have that they've, that they've built here, um, and that we were growing right now, you don't take them lightly at all. So 
you, you discuss them. We discussed uh, more today, but we'll sleep on it. Um, further discussion comes tomorrow. It's just a constant communication with Chris and myself, as well um, as the coordinators and position coaches for every 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 real decision that we make. And to the team's credit, um, it's not easy, and that's a good thing for the Dolphins. It's not. There's no no-brainer. Oh yeah, this guy's a fish out of water. No, it's for, far from that. So um, we'll continue to discuss that. Um, before we make those final decisions, which are tough, and that's good. Coach also answered a question about Greg Little and, and basically referenced the fact that they wanted to get Greg some work, but he was day-to-day with a little ding that he had and that he established a bunch of confidence with the work he put in during training camp, and he didn't want to put Greg Little out there to play at less than 100% and diminish the confidence he has built up. I thought it was interesting, just more philosophy and, and kind of where the Dolphins are coming from on some of the decisions they make from Coach McDaniel continues to fascinate me. Next, Coach was asked about Austin Jackson and Rob Hunt and Liam Eichenberg and their development, their growth. And now, after an offseason full of excitement and Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel and the players themselves having a lot of confidence about what they can do in this system, how he feels after getting 13 reps on tape and how they performed with their first game tape here in the system under this head coach. Here's Mike McDaniel. It it was really cool because of how they have developed where it's the first opportunity. You know, these guys have, we talk about deliberate practice a punch and, you know, I was talking to the team today about it, that the idea of deliberate practice is so that in the games you, there's no, it's just a virtually another practice that you're putting yourself in game situations all the time. And so there was really out of those 13 snaps, probably for all three of those guys, there would have been like 10 pluses. And then the three minuses were all things that they've executed um, against our defense in practice, whether it's combinations or pass pro sets that maybe we're a little off. So it was awesome for those young dudes to get that feeling for us to say, hey, why is this different? Okay, it shouldn't be. You, you, have, you should have all the confidence. It should feel the same as practice for you. And that's the goal that the, the this spectacle that is a game um, isn't anything but doing our craft that we do every day. So it got, it got us a chance to revisit um, kind of the primary pillars of philosophy of how we go about our business. I think they felt it, but they didn't, they didn't lose confidence. It was like, oh, yeah, and that, we're at a good spot with them because of that. I absolutely loved that comment about 13 snaps, you know, 10 pluses each, and the three negatives as far as the tape grading goes were things they had excelled with in practice and coach relating it back to that philosophy about being deliberate about how you work and making those practice reps the same as far as working on your craft as a game rep will be and how those three minuses were things they've already achieved in practices against this defense and trying to figure out how to bridge that gap to make it the same from the practice environment over to the game environment. Really, really fascinating stuff. Up next here, Coach was asked about something he mentioned post-game in Tampa Bay about being so relaxed and not having the nerves because of that philosophy and approach of being deliberate with your work and the carryover from practice to a game. Here he is now with a chance, you know, 24 hours or so later to reflect upon that thought and where he thinks he is now in terms of that NFL debut. Here's Coach McKinney. Um, Yeah, I think it was more that I'm not good at anything else. 
Uh, it was less of like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, um, no, but it, it is where I am comfortable. I think you guys can feel that. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to hide it from it at all. I'm not, there's a lot of things and I'm not going to necessarily uh, have this whole um, dialogue about how terrible I am. But there's a lot of things that I'm like, yeah, that's not, not what I hope it to be. Um, which, it was ironic, I knew that going into it. I knew going into it, I'm like, yeah, this is not, it, it's an odd thing to be something, excited for something, but also know, hey, yeah, I'm about to go not put my best foot forward or my final product forward. So just like the players, um, there's a lot of things, and I think that's important to, as a coach to identify and be transparent with that with your players. Of like, hey, yeah, this wasn't good enough. Um, this will, this, this, shortchanged you in one way, shape, or form. Um, so there, to say that I, I'm excited because it's over, because I wanted, I wanted to, to identify exactly where um, that, I, I just wanted to get to that point as fast as possible and, hey, okay, well, did this, now I can get better at this, and I can manage this better, I can communicate this better, this decision um, could be better, all of those things. So, yeah. Um, it's what I expected, and I expected to get a C on the math test, and I got the C, and so I'm like, yeah, cool. Now I can um, now I can work towards getting a B or an A someday, um, if you guys allow it. I, I just love it. But next here, a, a great question and a better answer about the idea of shuffling on the offensive line in a break in case of emergency situation where a starter goes down and shuffling guys and making two guys change positions opposed to just one. Here's coach answering a question about what would happen if something happened to one of your tackles. Do you shift a guy like Liam Eichenberg to tackle, you know, move someone else inside. Here's coach talking about the philosophy of multiple shuffles and changes in light of an injury potentially on the offensive line versus just plug and play one guy in and keep the other four intact. Here's coach. So that's a, the, there's a starting point to that. But I think absolutes are a dangerous place because the, the, if you just live in that, then what about the exception that flourishes? But from a starting point, it kind of has to do with the combination of uh, your combinations of players because if you, the starting point for me is that moving a player that's in a spot where he's being productive, now you just hurt now you just have two spots that are less than what you, you know, as opposed to just having one thing that you can work around. Um, but there are exceptions to that. Um, left tackle is an interesting one um, because you can, you know, with, with the edge rushers in this league, you're, you can go from sack fumble to completion explosive with like, you know, there's just so much space. So, that I, I, would, I would say from a starting point, I would try not to move a starter to, to, um, out of their position to cover up another position. Um, but that, I wouldn't say, would be an absolute because there's, you just have to think through, know, know the pros and cons, um, and kind of address it the best you can. And I, I guarantee there'll be a situation where I won't, I, I will go back on that statement at some point in time because I don't believe in just being like, all right, oh, this is my philosophy. Brain shut off. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I would say not being stuck in your ways is a great quality for this position and for this job. Up next, Coach was asked about Teddy Bridgewater not practicing much on Thursday and then not playing much in the game, or I should say at all in the game on Saturday, and the idea about taking advantage of an opportunity the Dolphins had with a little bit of back tightness for Teddy, which was not a big deal at all, but the opportunity to give Skylar Thompson the football to start the game and to go to bed knowing he was starting the game. Here's Coach on that philosophy and a Sage Rosenfels reference to boot. He was a he had a little um, you know back tightness to a degree on practice on the practice day, and but it wasn't anything major. We saw it as an opportunity to get Skyler some reps um, in practice, and then Skyler's ability to um, handle uh, those reps, you know, all important reps with the twos. And we kind of just got thinking, you know what? Um, here's an opportunity to do something that you don't generally get, which is, um, I think I, I, I talked about it before, but um, uh, I had one experience with Sage Rosenfels when I was, uh, when I was coaching in Houston. And Sage's point to me um, that always stuck out with me was like, yeah, you know, I'm so much better coming in as a reliever. It's so different when you're not preparing as a starter and then in-game you come in and play. But then when you have, uh, whether it's a night or a week, to prepare as the starter, it, for whatever reason, it's just a different set of circumstances that psychologically, Sage was like, I didn't flourish in. And that always stood out to me because I was like, huh, I, I wouldn't know that. But it was like, that's probably real. Um, and, and I think that over time you can look at back at quarterback success and see that um, – that is more common than not, you know. So I was paying attention to it after he planted that seed. So fast forward to that week, and I was like, wow. Here he is operating at a pretty high level. Um, if he does have to play, should circumstances present itself, um, when else could we have that opportunity where he would be a known starter in a three-preseason game? That would typically, yeah, that would come up in the fourth preseason game, um, and you could cross that bridge. But – Three, you can't really, um, with in conjunction to how how two is performing, where I thought that um, the first team quarterback was at, um, and then that practice, we're like, hey, why not do this and see how he reacts? And we learned a lot about the guy. I think his teammates did too. So it was more um, really the opportunity to, you know, Teddy started plenty of games, you know, and I think you could see by Skyler's play that. Um, you know he was he was pretty ready. Although he'll be harder himself and say he was there was plenty of stuff that he missed. Um, that that was kind of the objective, and I thought he handled it well. Mindset of okay, I'm going to start right. No, and wear that for for preparation for um, the night before for that sleep. You know that that was something that um, you know that like like I said that you just try to observe surroundings and that. That's something it stood out to me so much because I'd never been in that position and I never thought about it that way. So, yeah, that, that was exactly what we thought. Wow, we can get this opportunity out. Why, why go play Teddy for a quarter or two um, when, shoot, are we going to get this up? What if this is the only opportunity we have before live bullets ever um, down the road? Let's see what this kid's made of. Which I think it was back in OTAs you talked about kind of calibrating your aggressiveness on offense to reflect a good defense that you have here. I was curious when you have a guy like Jason Sanders who's making four field goals, two from 50-plus, 
down the middle. How does that kind of change the way you see the game or see the field from an offensive aggressive standpoint? No, it's a it's a great question because it, it's direct. You there's that area of the field where you know it's third down and you're between the 25 and the 30. Um, and do you want to be aggressive or not? Do you want to do you want to put yourself in a situation where maybe you could get um, an explosive uh, and you you feel a little more willing to do that if the worst case scenario, which I think happened to us twice, um, the worst case scenario happens, you get sacked. Okay, so that it expands that you get get in that area where you might take yourself out of points. Well. Now you have a little deeper area where you can be a little more aggressive because if you do have the worst-case scenario happen, he can get your back, which is what he did last night, which is why it was a, um, a, a team win and, and something to build upon. I think I said this last week about Coach making my job easier because he gives me so much good content and talking points and well-thought-out, explained answers. I, I plan for this podcast to be about 20 minutes, but I just played almost every answer Coach gave in that press conference. I left a couple out, though, so if you want to see the rest of it, go to the YouTube channel and find the rest of Mike McDaniel's media availability where you can find all the team's media availabilities up on the Miami Dolphins' YouTube channel. We are back at it Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for practice this week. Those practices are closed to fans, so no tweets, but I will have a Twitter update after practice, a post-game, a post-practice story, I should say, on MiamiDolphins.com, and then, of course, the podcast that that night with Twitter spaces on Wednesday and then game day on Saturday once again against the Raiders here at home at Hard Rock Stadium. The season is getting very, very close. I can't wait, man. I'm so pumped up for the season. That's going to be my time. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank. Rob Conrad last week. Kevin Carter this week. You early 2000s Dolphin diehard craze fans like myself. Good episodes for you guys there. The Twitter spaces on Wednesdays, like I mentioned. The YouTube channel for Media Avails for Dolphins Today. Some drive time and fish tank content up there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Photo galleries from training camp and your written camp reports by yours truly. Fins up, Caroline. Daddy's coming home.